Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Don't Worry Darling. You and me. Always. You and me. Darling, all of you wives. With you all the time. We men, we ask a lot. Can't you see? We ask for strength. <laughs> Food at home, a house clean, and discretion above all else. Boys and their toys, at least we know they're getting work done. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing Changing the the world. world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please. What's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if- Stop it! No. Jack, it's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. I need you to listen to me. They're lying about everything. We are not going backwards. We're pushing forward. Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. And I'm not crazy. Our life together. We could lose this. I don't trust him. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Don't Worry, Darling, and the story is as follows. In the 1950s, Alice and Jack live in the idealized community of Victory, an experimental company town that houses the men who work on a top-secret project. While the husbands toil away, the wives get to enjoy the beauty, luxury, and debauchery of their seemingly perfect paradise. However, when cracks in their idyllic life begin to appear, exposing flashes of something sinister lurking below the surface, Alice can't help but question exactly what 
what she's doing in Victory. The film is starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, Gemma Chan, Kiki Lane, Nick Kroll, and Chris Pine. It is directed by Olivia Wilde and written by Katie Silberman. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Emma Sasek. Hello, hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Evo Day. Hi there. And Danilo Castro. Hi, everybody. All right, so let's come forward first and foremost, and let's just get this out in the open. Number one, he did not spit on him. You weren't there. You don't know. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> Number two, square one. all of these contradictions, all of these he said, she said, this is all tying into the backstage drama of this movie. We are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about the movie as is. Suffice to say, uh, the backstage drama surrounding Don't Worry Darling might be more interesting, actually, than the movie itself. Somebody's going to write a book about this, if not, at bare minimum, a chapter about it <laughs> or several chapters dedicated in someone's autobiography someday, I'm sure, to this whole experience because... <laughs> Olivia Wilde is hot off the heels of one of the most exciting directorial debuts of the last 10 years with Booksmart in 2019. And here, her follow-up film, she's reuniting with Katie Silberman, who was a co-writer on that movie. Florence Pugh, obviously one of the top talents uh, working today. Harry Styles, one of the top talents in another art form uh, working today. And a cast of other people that could headline their own film. So with Warner Brothers behind this, this movie had a lot of anticipation just already. But... Then there was all this backstage drama. Originally, um, Shia LaBeouf was cast in the Harry Styles role. Was he fired? Did he leave? You know, everything's kind of gone back and forth on this between Olivia Wilde's involvement and Florence Pugh and her clashing on set, having screaming matches, all this stuff. It's created all this publicity and all this noise about the film, which actually has generated genuine excitement and interest in it in a way that we're seeing reflecting in the box office right now. So that's really kind of cool to see in terms of mid-budget adult dramas that are more so catered, uh, not necessarily towards a younger demographic, uh, doing well financially, uh, albeit maybe not for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, cutting through all the noise and whatever your take is on the spitting, the, scre uh, the screaming, the shouting, the firing, all of that, what did we think of Don't Worry Darling? So we're going to dance around the spoilers of this movie. I imagine there might be some people who are listening to us debating whether or not if they want to go see it based on some of the reviews it has received. So I don't want to necessarily discuss anything that's going to spoil people right off the bat here. Maybe at the end, we can dive a little bit deeper if we want. But for now, let's just keep it spoiler free. And let's start off with Emma Sasek, because this is your neck of the woods over in Palm Springs. So yes. tell us. How did uh, Palm Springs do in terms of uh, standing in for uh, victory? Oh, my gosh. Coming to you live from victory, I can confirm <laughs> the men go off to work somewhere in the morning. Don't know where they go. I'm not asking questions about where they go, but I am kikiing with my girls, Alice and Bunny, every single day. So it's all very true. <laughs> um, no, it was. It really is exciting to see how beautifully Palm Springs is shown in this film. Um, you know, just seeing the glorious mountains, the palm trees, the mid-century modern homes. Like, they did not have to change a single thing in our architecture and in our layout. So we do get to call, call this idyllic desert town our home, which is very, very, uh, very fortunate for all of us here. But... You know, the way that this film appears stylistically, 
and is represented in so many different ways from production design to costumes, cinematography, editing. It's just beautiful. It's so beautiful to look at. It is like a, I don't even know. It's like you just, it's eye candy at the end of the day. So all of that added in, uh, all of that added up to me just like fully immersing myself in this film especially when you are first introduced to victory and kind of see how things work uh for the woman's uh days day life there so absolutely love it on that part of course florence Pugh is a marvel and is just acting to save her life in this film <laughs> she's literally like practically saying i will not let this be a blemish on my filmography so help me god <laughs> she said all of you guys can flop if you want that's not gonna be me <laughs> florence Pugh, innocent <laughs> yes yes florence Pugh, innocent i mean i really loved a lot of the performances in here too i had a lot of fun with olivia wilde's character this chain smoking 1950s wife who is like exhausted by her kids but also like it's just having a good time um chris pine i absolutely enjoyed that little sinister man and his moments there i wish there was a lot more of him and as a self-proclaimed harry stylers obsessive yes i am one of them um he didn't entirely blow me away I, I do continue to, I do have my head on my shoulders, even when I watch this man beautifully on the screen, but I thought he did, you know, the best that he could do. It's hard when you have to compete against Florence Pugh and Chris Pine and all of these incredible actors and Oscar nominees and all of that. Um, however, he did, he did what he could, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a lot of that just, you know, that all fed and came together for me to enjoy this film. However. As I wrote in my review for Next Best Picture, the ending needs a bit of work. And that's where it let me down the most. It still definitely shocked me uh, and went in a direction that I did not anticipate. However, when we do go in this direction, we have to fully commit to it and really dive into it because there are a lot of relevant topics and themes that are brought up, not just in the ending, but throughout the film. And those are the areas where it falls short. It really just needed to dig into it. But when you're looking at, at it from a visual standpoint and a vibe standpoint, they're all there. All right. Danilo Castro, how about yourself? Ooh, I agree that aesthetically there's a lot that's really sort of pleasant to take in here. I think the cinematography is great. I think a lot of the staging of the visuals that were kind of shown brief glimpses of in the trailer I think a lot of those are really nice to look at the costuming like i said i think the performances mostly hold up i'm probably a little less pro harry styles performance here um i think he is the weak link pretty clearly because i think everybody else is doing a pretty good job um especially florence Pugh. but not to echo a sentiment already, I do think the big problem here is the structure of the movie and the fact that things sort of go off the rails in that final act. We'll keep it vague, obviously, like you said, trying to avoid spoilers, but I, it was a movie that I was pretty with and pretty you know, invested in emotionally, but when that twist happens and we sort of get the curtain pulled back, I think it strains my credulity a little bit to a point where I end up kind of coming away from the movie being 
disappointed overall. I think when when you take a swing that big and it doesn't fully connect, that that's sort of a risk you have to take. So I think we have some pretty big flaws here, but I think they're mostly on the back end. So I'll, like I said, I'll I'll keep, I'll keep it vague, but but I see the problem that people have with this movie because it's the problem I have with it as well. All righty then. Evo Day, we're up to you. So I think I can echo a lot of my uh, fellow podcasters in saying what I did like about this movie was, you know, of course, the visual aspects are stunning, which I think a lot of a lot of which can just be attributed to the beauty of Palm Springs, which is a lovely place to visit. I've been fortunate enough to go there a few times in my life. In terms of acting, I generally agree when everyone's saying about Florence Pugh, although from the beginning when I saw the trailer for this film, I believed that she and Harry Styles were too young looking for these roles in comparison to their co-stars. I think there's just something, I mean, (laughs) there's something very unbelievable about them ever being in this scenario where it's supposed to be like a very ideal suburb. They kind of just look like kids playing dress up, in my opinion. Yeah, especially compared to like Olivia Wilde and Nick Kroll. I I, I could see that. Yeah, that was the thing that I kind of believed from the beginning. I haven't seen a lot of discussion about that. In terms of the story, I think we can basically guess from the beginning. I mean, we know from the very beginning that this is a lovely town, but there's obviously something wrong with it. You know, only emphasized by Chris Pine's really evident cookie cutter cult speak that he uses. Like it's it there's no mystery from the beginning. There's no at no point during this film do you feel like everything is okay, which is fine, but it doesn't really lend itself to a particularly interesting or surprising reveal. When that reveal happens, of course, I didn't know the exact details of what was going to happen. But as soon as it revealed itself, I was like, yeah, that's about I was about 70 percent of the way there when I was trying to guess like what was going on. It was not shocking at all. It was not particularly impressive. I don't think anything in this film is really interesting enough. I don't feel a real obligation to sort of like dissect it or like study it because it's it was just so plain to me. And this mm. is an easy comparison, but it really feels like a Black Mirror episode. And Black mm. Mirror is great, but it kind of has embedded itself so much in our culture that we know what to expect. We know we're ready for the twist. We know what kind of things they're going to throw at us and what they are going to expect us to believe. And again, I realize that it's sort of a fantasy, but as soon as they give us that reveal, it was so easy to pull apart and be like, this doesn't make any sense. And here's why uh, we need to put that aside for to we need to, you know, suspend belief in some way. So I'll put that aside for now. But, you know, when it comes to the big reveal in films like this, it's such a delicate balance of being something that fits with the story and still being shocking and surprising and original. And unfortunately, this film did not do that successfully. I would also say that in terms of the commentary this film is trying to make on, you know, gender and uh, sort of women's roles within the world is about as reductive and simplistic as men. The movie Men, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, nothing in this made me think beyond what I already knew. I didn't find the script bad, but I didn't find it great. Now, I think people calling this film a dumpster fire and a horrible mess are being intentionally hyperbolic for the sake Mm. of 
wanting to create more drama, where frankly, this film just doesn't really deserve it. It doesn't deserve the hatred. It doesn't deserve praise. It's so kind of neutral to me. Yeah, yeah. I echo a lot of what you said there. But before I get to my thoughts, we still have another person here, Josh Parham. Josh, what did you think of Don't Worry, Darling? My feelings about the movie are pretty much in line with what a lot has already been said. I think that Eve had a very good observation about the structure to this movie, where it does feel like there's so little buildup to the mystery. We're just right into it. And as such, it doesn't ever feel like we're given an interesting avenue to explore this world that we're in. And that to me was the most frustrating thing about it. I could appreciate kind of stylistically what Wilde was doing as a filmmaker, even though I think there are occasional times where she sort of overdoes it a little bit. But for the most part, I did like the aesthetics of this movie. I do think that the performances are pretty good. I don't think Styles is doing great work, but to be honest, I thought he was just fine. I don't think he's a particularly gifted actor, but like he was doing serviceable work. I didn't find him to be terrible, but everybody around him, I think, is just so much better in their performances. And I was like somewhat intrigued with the world that it was creating, but at the same time, I also felt this frustration with the storytelling that sort of felt like it was being opaque for opaque sake and by the time we start do getting more answers it just felt rather predictable and not very interesting in the execution and it, it does definitely start to fall apart at the end where it just overcomplicates things unnecessarily in my opinion and it really just collapses but like the movie i just found to be sort of okay at the end of the day i i appreciated some aspects of it i think there are some good elements there but the entirety that of, of its whole i found to be pretty lacking in terms of investing me in the actual narrative that it was creating so not bad but just sort of okay to me at the end of the day so this film premiered at the venice film festival and um i saw this aligned with that uh so i didn't have like any of the influence of any of the initial reviews or anything all i knew heading into this was a bit of a troubled production behind the scenes so in a way i kind of went into this with that expectation of wow this is going to be a dumpster fire it's probably going to be an incoherent mess might be sloppily edited sloppily shot put together like all these things were running through my mind in terms of what to expect to my shock and amazement, I thought Olivia Wilde directed the hell out of this thing for like a huge chunk of it, actually. I was pretty impressed with all of the craftsmanship in this movie from top to bottom with the editing, the score, uh, the cinematography, the costumes, production design. So a lot of what's been echoed so far, I didn't have, you know, really high expectations for Harry Styles. Uh, Florence Pugh, I expected to be great. So everything was kind of lining up for me in terms of what I thought I was going to get out of this. And I was actually intrigued by the story and Florence Pugh was really carrying this thing on her back pretty well throughout. Now, here's the biggest problem of all, along with some of her sub problems I have, which I'll get into here. But the biggest thing for me was, yes, as echoed by some of you before, it's pretty clear early on in this movie that the film doesn't want to necessarily toy with the audience in terms of, oh, what is real and what is not. It makes it very clear that something is indeed wrong. And we don't know what it is, 
but there really isn't a mystery as to the fact of whether or not this is real or it isn't. We know right away that this is not real to a certain degree. So the movie announces that intention early, and then what it does is it spends its entire runtime building in anticipation to the big reveal as to what is actually behind victory. I was intrigued the whole way through. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's see what it is. What, what, what is going on here? What is the ultimate reveal? And then when they tell you what it is, the movie ends. No further explanation given. There's not a chance to actually dive into thematically uh, the questions that the reveal actually brings up. And to me, they were actually, you know, pretty interesting topics to discuss, as Eve was saying before, in terms of uh, gender, especially, and also uh, a a lot of men's point of view of wanting to maybe go back to that 1950s uh, lifestyle of those gender uh, type roles and so on and so forth. So there was a lot of commentary there that I was like, wow, what a, what a fascinating thing to explore if only the movie had maybe say, I don't even know, like another 15, 20 minutes at the end. Like, it feels like there was a huge chunk of this movie that was missing. A huge chunk. Like, the entire aftermath beyond the reveal. But no, it's big reveal, ending, done. And we're it's over. And that, to me, other than uh, another movie I saw earlier this year um, uh, that I saw actually during Tribeca, uh, this was one of the biggest uh, nosedive crashes I've seen for a movie in quite some time where I was actually leaning positively in my assessment of this movie and the ending single-handedly was just this anchor that completely dragged it down to the bottom of the ocean and sunk the whole ship. Were you the plane crash in the film then? (laughs) (laughs) You were literally the reason why she had to get off that trolley. (laughs) Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Let's talk about Florence Pugh. Let's start with her first and foremost here. I think that especially in like her scenes with Harry Styles, um, it, and I mean, granted, acting opposite Harry Styles, I mean, she looks like a million bucks and he looks like a penny. Hey. But <laughs> I think that the scenes where she's pleading with him, you can tell that there's like sincerity behind her admiration and love for this man. And I actually felt like her sense of desperation to be quite believable um, in how she was unraveling, but still she was trying to seek comfort in the relationship that she thought was rock solid with this man in her life. I I thought she did a really fantastic job here uh, all throughout. Listen, Matt, I agree 
not hard to do when you have that man as your husband, when you're looking at that every single morning and every single night. <laughs> like, even if there's something wrong with you, I want to believe that it's going to be okay. Don't worry, darling. <laughs> just, just sing to me. It'll be okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? He gets a whole dance sequence in this movie. Yeah. Oh my. I don't get that part. I really... A silly weird. little lad up on that stage. <laughs> he was almost like a wind-up monkey, like put on uh, as a show for everybody. It was. It was a very. Um, I, I I found it to be a little tongue-in-cheek, you know, given that it is Harry Styles, the stage musical performer that we know him to be, <laughs> and in this scene, he's on stage performing and dancing for everybody. But it went on for too long. It was almost like uncomfortably too long. It did. Yeah. I, I did. I admit I went to the restroom last night when I was rewatching this and that was the scene that I chose. Um, no, I, I have to agree in terms of what Miss Flo is doing in this film. Um, she just always like, knows how to unravel at the seams, but like in such a believable way where it's like, yes, if I was in her place in this situation, I would probably be freaking out like this too and she never overdoes it like she just has this perfect control of her emotions of like the way her mind is moving in a million directions at once she is just I can't I was watching this and thinking like is there somebody else that I would pick to be in this role and I just can't pick anybody else because she has that factor to her and she just delivers in every single way that's the thing too uh when eve when you brought up that forget about the fact that her and styles are young i i just from a hair and makeup like standpoint him a little bit more so but her i didn't feel like she looked like a 1950s housewife at times like she did look too modern uh which i guess was also kind of the point yeah i was gonna say uh, a little spoilery but it is Sort of the point to kind right. of to mention how sort of out of place that she is, but I still think that speaks to the power of her performance. And I would definitely say that this isn't anything that I would rank as like one of her best. And no, she did better. Wor- she did the same work in Midsummer, much better in my opinion. Uh, yeah, okay. and actually, at times I almost could feel like maybe she could just do this in her sleep. But I think that just speaks <laughs> to how talented she is: is that she can give a performance as committed as this, and yet it's still doesn't feel like it's the best that she can do but i still really like her performance she's as i said very committed to this material you feel every inch of terror that this character is going through and even though i don't think it's like the best work she's done i was still very captivated by the work that she was doing in the film it almost makes the scenes where styles is so obviously trying like that scene with him in the car uh it just makes it like stand out a lot compared to her because his choices don't feel as naturally organic as hers do. Also, I think the thing that hurt me with his performance in this was I, I was confused over whether or not if he was supposed to be uh, British pretending to be American or American pretending to be British. And that really yeah. threw me for a loop throughout. Yeah, pretty consistently. I mean, I don't think his performance was nearly as bad as people are saying. I also don't think it was good. And I also think that the two of them, Pew and Styles, just didn't have any chemistry. Uh, agree. That's basically my yeah. my. Yeah, too. I, I don't think he, yeah, like I don't think he's bad either necessarily. It's just that I can see, you know, when people say you know actors are effortless. 
he's effortful. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not really a lot a good of, performer in this movie. Yeah, you can see the gears turning mid-delivery, and, and it can be a little distracting sometimes. I thought that they had pretty fine chemistry on screen. I mean, like, especially toward the, like, the first act as you're, like, setting this world, like, I thought it was believable, like, very young couple in love, like, she doesn't want him to go to work, he can't wait to come back to work and see her, like, I thought that that was pretty fine. Emma, how much of that was you putting yourself in Florence Pugh's shoes? (laughs) I will not discuss this topic on this show, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, but I I definitely found that he wasn't terrible i feel like people saying that he's just god awful in the movie are being yeah a little over the top i don't think he's that bad no whoever said before that some of the takes on this movie are hyperbolic i completely 100 percent agree with you i think that this is more of a mixed bag of a movie than a poor worst of the year Uh, like some of the things i've heard people just use to describe this movie it kind of baffles me and I almost feel like it's just agenda driven by the backstage controversy as almost like, Hey, we're going to punish you yeah. for this. Yeah. yeah. And wanting to just always, I don't know, have that hot take or just, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Just have like an extreme reaction, mm-hmm. whether it's to drive social media engagement or I don't know. I, don't, I sometimes don't know what fuels this stuff, but Taking it on its own throughout, I definitely agree that the movie is not anywhere near as clever as it thinks it is. Like, it wants to be this Stepford Wives, Matrix, Truman Show type of movie. Uh, Even Stepford Wives, which I don't think is as good as the other ones I just mentioned, is better than this, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's definitely straddling a fine line here. Um, But I will reiterate I was pretty blown away by some of the editing in this movie. I thought the cinematography was extremely well done by uh, Matthew Libatique. And the music by John Powell, the way that it incorporates uh, breathing especially, I found to be very effective. I like the music. I will disagree about the music. (laughs) I did not like that at all. I, I found that to be incredibly distracting. Like, I understood what they were going for, but of all of the aesthetics of this movie that I could appreciate, I I found the music really sort of kind of tipped its hand too much in terms of the tone, and it it was a little much for me. So it was a little overdone. Okay, I I can see that. Um, There's a side character here played by Kiki Lane, and for those of you who, you know, don't remember, but you should, uh, she was the lead in If Beale Street Could Talk. She was also in The Old Guard. Um, I feel like in recent years, I don't know, I, I just don't feel like... I feel like she's choosing projects that look good on paper, but they're just not serving the early talent that was seen in If Beale Street Could Talk like well enough for her. And I feel bad because I feel like she has so much to offer. And in this movie in particular, um, I saw this movie in New York and uh, Randy Jones was with me and he was pretty vocal about this criticism. So I'll, I'll attribute it to him here. Uh, but it is very interesting that she, Kiki Lane, is the only black character in this movie And she has virtually no lines, no character development whatsoever. And what happens to her, obviously, is not good. And so, like, optically, I just found it to be not only distracting, but also disrespectful to Kiki Lane as well. Yeah. Well, it's not only not good, but also 
really just used to motivate Florence Pugh's character to do more of the story. And then that causes even more complications with the optics of that character. And there's just really nothing on the page for her to do. And it is very disappointing that you get an actress like her to do this kind of nothing role that also, yes, because she is the only black woman here would offer up much more commentary about this world that the movie doesn't really go into all that much. And it, is another kind of avenue of frustration with the storytelling for me. So yes, I can understand people having a big problem with that character. Cause I don't think it's particularly well executed her placement within the story. I also remember when I saw Beale street, it, it feels Street could talk not being crazy about the film, but definitely her performance had an impact on me. It was so like naturalistic. She was just so charming and easy to watch. And, you know, for, not not to mention she and basically everyone in this film looks stunning, like just so beautifully made up, just gorgeous costumes, obviously the way the light hits them. I, I also wish that given her given how great her performance in Beale Street was, yeah, it would have been nice if she had a more uh, interesting part in this. And in a way, I feel the same way about Gemma Chan, too, because I actually feel like the story sets her up to be a far more... Uh, interesting character than what is ultimately provided to her and once again it feels though as if like in the third act when we get the big reveal it it almost feels like there was more for her character to do in the aftermath of that and the movie completely drops it yeah it was so rushed and like something happens with her character in that third act where you're like wait, what? Like, what does all of this mean to you? Why did you do that? Like, huh? It just, it was just another instance of it introducing more questions than offering answers. You could feel where scenes were cut in this movie. You could feel that her character probably had a lot more to do. It was probably a lot more interesting. And then I would think after the incident that happens between her and Chris Pine towards the end of the film that maybe there wasn't some explanation, but I think that's literally the last time to see her. Yeah. It just brushes past that moment and it's like, okay, I I guess. (laughs) I feel very strongly that there is a lot in the first and second act of this movie. Either scenes could be shortened like the uh, dancing sequence that we mentioned before with Harry Styles, or there's a lot even in the first uh, couple of minutes of this movie that could have been done in montage form to just buy back some extra time. So this way, the movie doesn't have to be like, you know, too much longer than its 123 minute runtime. But if it were able to get some time back and then tack on like another 15 minutes, get it to like maybe say like 135 or whatever, something along those lines. I really feel that this could have been super interesting, almost like in a. I don't want to reveal too much once again, but kind of how I felt towards the end of season one of Severance. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) So much of this movie to me feels like it is kind of spinning its wheels. And I think that is also where I grew very tiresome of some parts of this movie where you really do get the sense of Olivia Wilde's sensibilities as a filmmaker and stylistically what she's going for. And I do find that to be intriguing, but it did oftentimes feels feels to me like this movie lacked momentum. And we were just sort of continually going in this cycle of the the descent into this character's psychosis and just the cracking up of this world. And then like, yeah, those were interesting to watch, but at a certain point I kind of felt like, okay, 
okay, but can we like move the story along? And it just really felt it was just treading water. And then we get to the end where it has to wrap up everything. And it's like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> These are all the threads that are needing to be tied up. I actually <laughs> want to see some of this. Like, yeah, I, I wish we had spent yeah. more time getting through that than just, as I said, spinning its wheels throughout most of this movie to just sort of indulge in the style and not the storytelling. Like you guys said, I think, I forget if it was Matt or not, but it, it, we get into the mystery so early that in my mind it was like, okay, this is we're, we're getting set up for something big, something that's going to really be unpacked for us. And yeah, we rushed through the the payoff to what sort of the whole film is building towards. So structurally, it, it leaves you a little confused and, and just kind of wanting a lot more, I think. Yeah, I mean, even with uh, Chris Pine's character here, who um, whoever mentioned before, I think it was you, Emma, like he's so charismatic as almost like this cult figure type. I found him to be extremely magnetic. Yeah. I wanted more from that character um, and I wanted to see just more layers of him peeled mm-hmm. back. And then but the only problem is that you can't do that until the reveal of the movie is revealed. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, his intentions along with everything else are so obvious from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, the best scene in the movie, in my opinion, is the dinner table uh, scene between him and Florence Pugh because they're playing this really fun power play of, like, psychological games with each other. Some of it's spoken out loud, some of it unspoken. Mm -hmm. And I just found that to be... The, the, like that was the moment for me where I was like, "Wow! Like this might actually turn out to be a good movie after all." <laughs> Before we do anything else, can we all just collectively roll our eyes at the fact that Florence Pugh's character is named Alice? Oh gosh! Like, come on, uh, get it? Down yeah. the rabbit hole she goes. You get it? You get it? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, Olivia Wilde is called Bunny for goodness' sake. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I actually never even. I never even put that together. <laughs> How many other Alice in Wonderland, uh, you know, Easter eggs are we going to find in here? <laughs> yeah, eggs. Oh, my God. And I'll say that, um, like, the scene leading up to the dinner table scene, like, where it's just uh, Chris Pine and Florence Pugh, like, man, he is just, like, fighting in that moment. He's just, like... I, I've been waiting for somebody like you can just like tell like that pure satisfaction he has, but also like you're not going to figure out what's going on. No one's going to believe you. Ah, he's so evil. And I wish there was so much more of him because I think uh, he and Gemma Chan, as we said, like toward the end, it seems like there were things cut that made things yeah. a little bit easier to understand. I just wanted more of them. And I know that there are these mysterious figures in this town, but my God, like they're so delicious. And like when you, when we first see her in the film as she's walking into that ballet studio, like you can tell the power that she has. And also I absolutely love that scene and how it's shot and everything. Um, but it's just like, these people have such a chokehold on this place for obvious reasons but it's like why didn't we get more of them they were such a delight to watch oh yeah i mean Gemma chan is literally elegance personified in this film yeah and even though i liked the optics of the ballet scenes it's like okay she comes in and she's like ladies control is beauty it's like okay lay it on a little thicker if you could (laughs) (laughs) I will also say, too, um, I have a note here. Uh, Maybe somebody can help provide a little bit of context for me while, like I said, avoiding spoilers if you can. 
there's one moment between Chris Pine and Florence Pugh in the movie where he uh, seemingly appears out of nowhere and is watching her at one point. Yeah, that was weird to me, too. (laughs) Because that was like one of the few moments in the movie where I thought to myself, oh, is he not really there? Is it like a simulation? Is it like, I, I don't know. And there wasn't another instance in the movie like that where he would kind of like conveniently pop in, peeping around the corner, eyeballing like her or anything like that. So I just found that to be an out of place moment that once again brought up more questions uh, than provided answers. Yeah, I it seemed a little out of um, touch with her character that she would just let that happen. Yeah, yeah, because there's that moment where they lock eyes. Yeah, yeah, like she knows he's there and she doesn't make, she's not startled, she's not surprised. So if, if there was maybe an implication that this was like a, a thing that happened all the time, like he was ever present, that would actually have been interesting. But it really just happened that one time and then never again. It almost feels like it's a scene they forgot to cut. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we used it in the trailer, so we can't go back on it now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's more to just signify the kind of foreboding presence that he has. That, yeah. Yes, we can see how charismatic and charming he is, but there is this sinister undercurrent. And I, I just feel like that's mainly what that scene serves to focus or, or serves as. It's just like he is somebody that is very charming, but there's something also dark here at the same time. And the fact that he just sneaks up on her and they share this very sinister kind of moment. I think that's just mainly what it's there for. And I I can roll with it because I think Chris Pine is great in this movie. He actually might be my favorite performance in it because he is just like that, that, as I said, that charm, but that smarminess too, that you just can't, help but also love and that dinner scene yeah like i i was in love with everything that chris pine was doing in this movie he had such villainous energy that i really responded to i thought he was very very compelling he's very hit or miss for me as an actor in a lot of instances but but i think a lot of the time it has to do with the role that he's given and whether or not if there's enough there on the page i think when he's allowed to explore some more character actor tendencies as opposed to leading man uh you know parts of his repertoire, if you will, I feel like that's when he is better utilized in a, a, a lot of projects. You know, I think a lot about how many layers he packed into his performance in something like Hell or High Water. And even here, you can see a little bit of that at play. But unfortunately, uh, the writing, I think, is just lacking uh, in terms of giving him more to play with. But I agree, Josh, for what he was given, his performance, I would actually consider to be pretty good considering that uh, he was able to elevate uh, what was on the page. Yeah, exactly. And I do think eventually we do need to talk about the ending because, yeah, Yeah. his resolution was quite unsatisfying. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, maybe let's do it. I'll do a little setup here for that. Um Basically, we get to that dinner table scene, and then we have the aftermath of that scene where Alice and Jack have, like, this confrontation. Uh, It was in that moment, too, where I thought Florence Pugh was just, like, dancing around Harry Styles in terms of the acting department. It was insane. And then there's uh, a very sinister, dangerous uh, move that is made by Jack against Alice uh, that it was that moment where I realized, oh man, we're about to enter into the big reveal now because 
shit's hitting the fan and uh you know harry styles is screaming in the car and i'm like oh man here we go (laughs) and then this is the part where i say if you have not seen don't worry darling please shut off the podcast and come back later um (laughs) gosh we then cut to the real world where jack and alice are actually married the makeup department has somehow managed to make harry styles look ugly I don't know how that was even possible. <laughs> did they? I don't know. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> I, I am being a little sarcastic, but they gave him a beard and they essentially made him like a, a, a QAnon podcast conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Um, so he's listening to Chris Pine on a podcast uh, called Victory and the Victory Project, rather. And... Essentially, Alice has been placed in a at-home, like on, laying on her bed simulation of this movie that we've been watching of her being like the 1950s housewife. And then Jack, every day, comes into the simulation whenever he basically wants. Essentially, he goes to work during the day in the real world, comes back into the simulation and spends time with her when he gets back. And that's why uh, the wives never see the husbands. And from there... Like I said, from there, it raises these very interesting questions in regards to uh, gender roles, not just in the 1950s, but also how they relate to today. And then also kind of tying into that as well, I guess the the types of people uh, that would be like these, I guess, QAnon conspiracy theorist types that also like personify the whole let's make America great again and like let's go back to a time when uh gender roles were more clearly defined in their and in their place but the movie doesn't like actually do anything with that so i'll i'll, I'll leave it at that for now let's kick start off of that i mean what did you all think about like that's kind of social commentary though uh and in terms of like kind of setting it up but then maybe not going anywhere with it i think the whole thing is so uninteresting yeah it, you said it before it's reductive it's so blatant it's so obvious i don't think there's anything that this film presents in terms of social commentary that is even worth discussing. It's so plain. I will say that I didn't expect the film to go in that direction. However, once it was revealed, and because we've had, you know, The Truman Show, The Matrix, all of these films over the last 20 years, like if this film came out like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I feel like it would be a bigger shock to the system. Um, but it once it happened, you're like, oh, okay, I get that. And then um, I understand, like, I, I get it. I get the the conversation about control, about male dominance, patriarchy, a mm-hmm. woman, woman's right in the world. I, all of that would have been very interesting and very totally relevant to today to explore. It just, like, cuts, stops short of doing any of that. It's just, here's this actual world. Okay, we're done. And that's it. And it's like, Ah, it's so unsatisfying because you I want to be more in that realm. I want to see more of how not only how things are working in terms of like the whole victory project and all of that, but it's like, well, tell me more, explain more about go into these topics more. It was just so unsatisfying. So there's two types of big reveals in movies. There's the one that takes place at the end of the film and has to then recontextualize everything that you saw before it. Uh, this is something like The Prestige or The Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects. 
And then there are the uh, reveals that take place near the end of the first act of the movie and then tr- bring you into the meat of the film in like the second and third act. That's where The Matrix is or even The Truman Show, which reveals its uh, mystery to the audience very early on. Mm-hmm. I feel like Don't Worry Darling needed to reveal this part of the film way earlier than it did and then use it to uh, have Florence Pugh actually then fight back against Chris Pine, against Jack, against the system and reveal more about what the Victory Project actually was. And then maybe the film's themes could have resonated more because they would have had more time to explore it. Yeah, that would have been a very interesting way to go about doing this because, you know, at the end of the first act, I guess, I don't know, second act two, whatever it was. Yeah, at the end of the first act, you do get the reveal. But of course, you don't understand what all of these kaleidoscopic images are and the eyeballs and all of that. Like, you don't understand what that all means. And that would have been, like you're saying, the perfect time to have said, okay, here is where we are. Here's how literally everything shifts from her from this point on. Because it seemed like that's what happened for Margaret. She she saw the same thing, asked the questions, and everybody just silenced her. Yeah. I think one of the best visual encapsulations for this film is this sort of reoccurring image we see, presumably in uh, Alice's head, of uh, a series of women in 1930s costumes dancing in a kind of Busby Berkeley style that Mm -hmm. looked absolutely great and was very pleasing to look at, but really had no purpose whatsoever. When it's kind of revealed what that is from, it's just that it's playing above her head for some reason. I guess it's supposed to be like hypnosis, but it's completely useless. It's just filler. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie I found. And yeah, by the time we get to the final reveal of this movie it just felt like it was starting to overcomplicate things unnecessarily because i kind of figured that we weren't really in the 1950s i feel no, like that's of course not obvious from the very beginning but yeah. and so i was willing to still go with the movie operating under that assumption and i think that you could still do that in a satisfying way but it just would have felt like the movie was trying to get ahead of the audience and being like oh well they're gonna know that so it also has to be like a simulation but then that just like i said it just offers so many other questions as to this world just not really making that much sense at that point and when that's not really where you want to be as you're trying to wrap up your story too and then Chris Pine, he gets killed by Gemma Chan, which it's like, wait, well, what does that mean now? It just is so weird. I mean, she says, like, in a very declarative way, it's her turn. And I'm like, what does that mean? I honestly thought at first that she was the one who was actually running the Victory Project, which would have been far more interesting of a commentary about these sort of gender roles, too. But it's like, no, it is Chris Pine, and then she just kills him, and it's like she's going to take over. But what what does that mean? It's so strange right now. I will also say that, um, like, in that big final showdown between Alice and Jack, when all is revealed, like, he says... I hate doing this every single day. You get to stay here. I have to go out. I have to do all this. It's like, well, can we actually kind of see a little bit more of what it is that he's doing? Because like, it's just little tiny glimmers of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually kind of interested to see like 
what does it mean when the men leave this world and go back into the real world? Now, imagine if they had revealed, uh, you know, this part of the movie earlier on, we could have had, uh, you know, cross-cutting going back and forth between Alice uh, in the Victory Project and then Jack out in the real world. Yeah. And the movie, I think, could have just had a lot more freedom to really dive deeper and explore. But, I mean, this all stems you know, back to the screenplay, I actually don't really lay a lot of this at the feet of Olivia Wilde as a director here, uh, because I do think that given what she had to work with with the screenplay, I mean, everything revolving around Alice's uh, car chase to get up to the uh, Victory Project headquarters with the guys chasing her up the hill and everything, like, it's all really well done and it builds in terms of its stakes and its uh, tension. Yeah. I, I, like I said before, I think she really directed the hell out of this thing. It just is unfortunate that it was in service to a screenplay that needed further development. She did and say on some talk show that if a film is bad, it's the director's fault. <laughs> it usually does get placed at the director's feet. Absolutely. No, I know, I know. But um, I have to say, you know, we're talking a little bit about all the questions we have because the reveal happens so late in the film and, you know, the technology, you know, I understand it's obviously science fiction, so it exists in the future. We don't need to know the intricacies, but it is so the, the spence you have to take to sort of try to believe it is so ridiculous. I was actually hoping it would take the direction of a sort of MK ultra like government drug sort of thing. I think that oh. would have been interesting. And then when Olivia Wilde said, if you die in here, you die in real life. Oh, my God. I almost fell off my chair and rolled my eyes so hard. It was so stupid. I uh, so I thought that somebody who I watched it with, you know, brought up with me, like, would they have, would it have been better if they just stayed in, like, the 1950s, like, throughout the entire film, like, the twist was actually happening like the 1950s, like the men are doing something to the women in the Victory Project. I wonder how that would have gone. I don't really know. Um, but I will say with the twist that we are given, I want to see what happens to Alice at the end, because the situation that she finds herself in the real world shackled to a bed uh, how is she going to get out of that? Because that's also, my main question. Like, how, okay, girl, what now? I guess scream very loud until a neighbor hears her or you something. You saw how many locks were on that door. That's going to take a long time. So she yeah. had been missing for however many years and no one thought to check her apartment. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions here. No uh, one's got a warrant for to search the apartment. <laughs> <sighs> like, like what if they had been like we're gonna put her in a like if you want to put your wife in this unwillingly she has to like be taken to our one of our facilities in the middle of nowhere and we'll keep this all secret you know like that at least would have been like okay there's more like explanation to how exactly this is working other than just this ridiculous idea that he's done all this himself like it's ridiculous uh, I'll, I'll tell you what it is he he took the uh you know 35 percent off at home discount Mm. That's me. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so easy, easy setup, just like Spectrum Wi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, final thoughts here on Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, we'll start off with Danilo. Danilo, anything that we didn't mention that you want to mention or something you want to reiterate? This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake. 
and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Um, I think the issue that I come back to, and we were just kind of touching on it, is like the the twist, the world that gets revealed in the twist is so poorly fleshed out that I see why they didn't give us more of it. It almost yes. feels like they were like, uh, we're not really sure how to answer some of these, so we're going to be real vague. And I think they should have put the work in to really flesh it out and have it make sense. Because I think, like you said, Matt, if we had spent more time in that world, it would have really supported sort of what they were going for, both thematically and just in terms of what was exciting to watch. Um, I missed the mark on that. And so that that's my big thought. My big takeaway is the biggest flaw of the movie is something that I think could have been fixed if they had put a little more effort into making it less just obvious and superficial and just put a little more into it. I think it could have done wonders for this movie because I think there are good things here. Okay. Eve, how about you? Yeah, I really don't have anything else to say because we really, I think, said all there is to say, which is not much. I will say my favorite performance of the film was Dita Von Teese. She was so fun. I love that little martini glass scene. (laughs) (laughs) So it literally looks like a million dollars. That's all. Okay, Josh. Um, I think the only other thing that I would mention is that we've talked a lot, obviously, about Olivia Wilde's uh, abilities as a director, but I actually thought her performance in this was really effective. And the scene with her and Pew in the uh, bathroom, yeah, at the uh, at the event, yeah. You know, I got I gotta say, like leading up to it, I didn't actually, I, I didn't like that she was starring in this. To be completely honest. But when that scene happened, I immediately was like, like any kind of, you know, reservations I had before were completely washed away. Oh, yeah, that seems great. I I even love even earlier in the movie when she's more bubbly and fun. I think she's got some of the more effective comedic moments in this film, too. And there's that moment when they like do some rearranging with uh, some of the people in this place. And they like basically take her children away from her and watching her navigate these emotions of still trying to be fun, but very hurt at the same time. I, I thought she actually gave a really, really good performance in this film. And even though it's very supporting, she, she stood out to me and I actually thought that her acting ability was was pretty great. I mean, she even had good chemistry with Florence Pugh, which maybe speaks to <laughs> both of their abilities as an actor, that they were able to communicate that, that they actually sort of were friendly with each other. So <laughs> I, I do just want to shout out her actual acting abilities in this movie, because I thought they were really, really well executed, too. Yeah, yeah. Although I got to admit, when Eve said earlier, 
you die in here, you die in the real world. I, I do. I've rolled my eyes at that well, so much. I mean, that, that's the writing. Like, yeah. yeah, that wasn't great, but I didn't I didn't blame her for that necessarily. That was just a bad line. <laughs> All right, Emma, any. Oh, well, Josh, anything else or. No, I mean, the movie itself, like I said, is just sort of fine. There's things in it that I did appreciate, but just as a whole, it's very messy. And because it doesn't stick its landing, that really dings it even more. Like, I I wish that it had been more focused on what it really wanted to do, because I think what we ended up getting was just something that felt very disorganized and didn't really add up to a movie I could fully embrace. All right. Emma Sasek, how about you? Um, one of my LOL scenes in this the movie was Timothy Simon's character uh, as they're in the car chase. He says, stop, are you idiots? I just <laughs> thought that that was so funny. <laughs> Very strange line reading on that one. Um, I just further want to give praise to the cinematography in this film. I really loved like all of the mirror and ballet class scenes here. Um, I mentioned the one when Gemma Chan is walking in and like how the camera is like panning around that room, but still focusing in on Florence Pugh. Um, Anytime that there was like a bathroom cleaning scene in terms of her scrubbing that bathtub, I loved seeing her on each of the mirror panes. And then uh, just in the ballet classes, like whenever they do those overhead shots and you just see like the women and like perfect symmetry and doing all these interesting, this interesting choreography. I thought that that was all very lovely to see. Um, I don't know if anybody saw this. I don't know if I'm seeing this or projecting this, but in the scene when Margaret and her husband are Sitting in that room uh, during the party scene after she had her outburst, when her husband closes the curtain, I feel like you see something in the curtain that reveals, like, Alice's true form in this film. I swear that I saw, like, a face in that curtain. Yeah, it's it's like for a frame or two. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I noticed it the first time, and I swear I noticed it the second time, too, so... Okay, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one on that one. Yeah, no, that was Emma, I don't want to have to see this movie. Again. I know, I'm sorry, you have to go back. <laughs> there, there are some, like, directorial flourishes that reminded me a little bit of, like, Black Swan in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the um, the mirror when mm-hmm. she's looking at her, or when her one reflection is looking at her in the mirror. Uh, all very fun uh, little plays that were going on there. Um, but really, I mean, like, we already reiterated, to reiterate what we've already said, wonderful performance from Florence Pugh. Loved Chris Pine in this. I just wish that we could have seen him a lot more. Same with Gemma Chan. Um, echoing what Josh said, Olivia Wilde was very fun and a complex character. And kind of also with the big reveal and what we learn, what really is happening with Alice. We learn a little bit from Bunny, what her situation is. It just kind of made me interested to learn about these other men and their girlfriends, wives, like what's really going on that they had to be brought into this world. Um, It was just another one of those, like it opened up a lot of doors. It didn't answer uh, any of the questions that we really had. Um, So it's such a shame that it had to kind of, you know, fall in that realm. But 
I did still enjoy it. Like I said, it's very fun to see Palm Springs in this way. And Palm Springs has obviously been featured in a lot of different movies over the years, but I feel like it got to play very, very well in this movie. And we got to enjoy our mid-century modern vibes. All right. Uh, Question for everybody. What do you think was the plane ultimately a red herring <laughs> probably actually probably that's why it's red <laughs> yep yep I, I i actually don't think eve is wrong there's a lot of those so in this movie like the eggshells like what was the is the implication just that the simulation is glitching or just that like they don't have supply like what <laughs> like i mean like it's just a cool visual i don't know if it really means anything yeah yeah, yeah. no that's a, yeah. It's a glitch like because why would they have a plane do that? Yeah, I don't. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Nope, it does not. <laughs> this is why I'm asking. Um, <laughs> like they needed something to just get her out there, right? Well, I, I mean, d- didn't um, Margaret's kid have like a, a toy airplane? He did. I, I it guess, was a little red airplane. Yeah, so I guess maybe it was something connecting back to that. Um, that that's the best I got. Yeah. yeah, and I think you might be on something with that. I can't remember the actor that played him. I think it was, I think it was Timothy Simmons as the doctor. Yes, that's yeah, him. it was Timothy Simmons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the only moment of light humor in the movie, and I appreciated it so much. <laughs> but there was another moment of uh, unintentional humor that <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Alice prepares this amazing dinner for Harry Styles, and he's not interested in eating that. Oh. <laughs> okay. And she just wipes it off the table and falls off the table on the floor. I'm just I thought, thinking, like, man, it's such a waste of food. <laughs> and also, the kind of person we know that Harry Styles is Jack really is, I don't think that's what... That's the move he would take. Yeah. Generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that doesn't line up. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, I just I was like, that poor food. <laughs> and he's asking her, what did you make? What else? What else? And I'm like, how much food do you eat, sir? You don't eat, like, five courses to this meal. It's just a fucking pot roast. <laughs> this, uh, wasted dinners, wasted eggshells. I mean, so much food wasted in this movie. But that does also like bring up a point here because, you know, they did, you know, say early on, oh, it's so like taboo to see uh, sex scenes where women are being pleasured. And I'm like, you're acting like you're the first person to do this in cinema. Calm down. (laughs) I'm like, there's two scenes of it. Maybe that's what they're like, you know, getting so excited about. That's not just one scene. There's like two, two of them. I don't know. But (laughs) Either way, this movie, like, really thinks it is, like, pro-feminism, but it, like, really crumbles, I think, at the end of the film in ways that is a shame. Um, I see the intent, I and I also, like, once again, I want to reiterate, I think Olivia Wilde did a really good job of directing this film up until those final couple of minutes here. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the disaster that I was expecting it to be. Uh, and I align a little bit more with what Josh was saying is that it's just fine yeah. when all is said and done. So 
I mean, I got to go negative because I, I have to admit, like at one point I was at a six, then I you know moved over to a five. And then at the end, I was so enraged by the ending. But at the same time, it's got great craft. Florence Pugh is pretty fantastic in it. I don't think it's as bad as people are saying it is. I'm giving it a four out of 10 when all is said and done here. Emma, how about you? Um, I did want to mention something that I forgot to say. And sure. that is, <laughs> it's been said about this film already, but it is truly gatekeep gaslight girl bus in order the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just fabulous. But um, yes, I agree that it is not. I think people have been like way too harsh about this film, just in terms of like probably just like wanting to shit on it because <laughs> there's so much drama with this film, whatever it might be. Um, but I, I enjoy it. I, I love how it looks. I think the aesthetics are all there. I do wish that there was more to this ending, um, but I still can't deny it. after watching it two times now, I still, for the most part, I'm enjoying it. So I am still at a six out of 10 for this film. Man, that that musician, he he really did a number on you. My hey, Lord. leave me alone. It's not all about him, okay? I get to watch my beautiful town in the movie. Lay off me, dude. Also, like, not it's not like a six out of ten is a glowing recommendation, man. I'm kidding. Emma knows I'm kidding. Yes, yes. Eve, how about you? Yeah, um, I'm pretty solidly on a five because with all the good things this film had, it didn't have enough to really make me think about it more than just on a surface level. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. offensively bad enough to go below that. Yeah, so pretty pretty solidly at a five, which is also the score that I gave men, which, you know, I, I, I liked and disliked for different reasons. But yeah, I will say, though, if um, Chris Pine and Gemma Chan ever asked if I would give up my life to live in a 1950s uh, dystopian society, I, I would probably say yes. <laughs> they also have the hey, we really like your look. Can we buy you a drink at the oh bar, bar? And you know what? <laughs> Liquor me up, boys and girls. Do whatever you gotta do. <laughs> All right, Danilo. Uh, I'll probably go with the five as well. I feel like the pros and the cons sort of nullify each other, and I end up sort of with a split down the middle with this movie. Josh Parm. Yeah, five out of ten for me is is where I'm landing. There's some good things in it. There's some things that really don't work. And yeah, it just sort of adds up to a movie that I'm very mixed on and very down the middle uh, in terms of my feelings. All right. As far as any kind of Oscar potential for this movie, uh, interestingly enough, I don't think so. I think that the controversy surrounding this film, I think the negative reviews... Even if it's worthy, I, I don't see a world where this goes all the way to a single nomination. Be, you know, it'll definitely show up at the guilds in some areas, I think. Uh, but I can't see a world where it actually, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the best chance really is costume design. That's what I that's what I included, too. I I said maybe production design, you know, if it, there's a chance, but if I, there was like some more sci-fi elements to the production design, I would agree with you. But mm-hmm. recreating in the 1950s has just been done so many times. And this is not like a prestigious, uh, critically acclaimed period film that would get that kind of a coattail nomination. So I I think that's where I I, I, I don't think production design is going to happen for this. I could definitely see Florence being nominated at the Globes, which are 
happening, apparently. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that, too. She's definitely a big star at this point. You know, the Globes do love their stars, and they got the two categories for drama and comedy. And, uh, you know, if they're looking for contenders to fill in a slot or two, I, I could see something like that happening. Did anybody pay attention to the song? Uh, really? Yes. Oh. <laughs> of course Emma did <laughs> well I mean they sing it so many times you know <laughs> I don't think there's much there's not much to the song but okay yeah, that's what I was wondering because I wasn't on the lookout for because I didn't know that it was an original song so I mean it's truly just darling I'm with you all the time and then that's it like it just keeps repeating that over and over again it's so obvious <laughs> it's <just> so plain <laughs> all right so no original yeah. song nomination in that case no. uh I-, I wouldn't be shocked if like maybe it made the score shortlist just because john powell you know he is a previous nominee so you can especially with the music branch like my god they are so clicky <laughs> with people that <laughs> they are already familiar with so i wouldn't be surprised if it made that list i don't think it's getting anywhere near a nomination but if it did show up there it wouldn't shock me yeah this is like all like just short to say i can see this popping up here and there with a guild or the globes like we said but like when it comes time for the final oscar nominations i don't see it getting anything yeah no i i don't really think so like i think that the production and costume designs they will maybe show up at the guilds and they're um well, I guess it would be period category, even though I guess you could technically call it sci-fi. But um, I don't, yeah, I don't really feel like they're going to make it into an Oscar lineup. No, no. You know, if this movie was actually like critically acclaimed and, you know, the ending were better, I would be ready to say editing at, you know, at least. But alas, no, not when editing is also so tied into best picture. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the cinematography is really, really beautiful, but I know that that's going to be already, it's already a stacked category as is with the films that have yet to come out this year, but um, it's truly one of its more beautiful aspects. I also just think the Palm Springs sun is doing half the work. When yeah, we do, we do get to uh, praise a little bit of that too. <laughs> Emma, you're... Uh... You're being excited for Palm Spring in this movie is like the same as me being excited for the Pacific Northwest in the Twilight series. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't wait for my husband to come home. You know, I I just can't wait for him to come home and uh, tell me about what he's doing all day long. Big deal waiting for him. (laughs) I feel like there is like a little mini film festival that one could hold in Palm Springs where you screen My Policeman, Midsummer, Men, Don't Worry Darling and Palm Springs. And they're all like just connected to one another (laughs) well you know what we do have the palm springs international film festival here anyway so maybe that might be happening i I really hope that they honor the ensemble for this and none of them show up (laughs) (laughs) olivia wilde is like all right i guess i'll just take it nobody else wanted to be here (laughs) i am a little curious about something you know considering that the movie is doing well financially above expectations at the moment but just given all the drama backstage i i I mean money talks in this business uh obviously i imagine we're all in agreement here olivia wilde's career is going to be perfectly fine from this despite the reviews and everything else right yeah yeah she'll she'll be fine and honestly even the financial aspect of this movie like yeah it's doing well this opening weekend 
I have a feeling that will nosedive in the second week because I think everybody just came out for morbid curiosity for the first weekend and then they will see the movies just okay and nobody will come back to it. I'll, I'll give credit here. It's a good date movie. <laughs> okay. Sure. But but again, I really feel like this is one of those movies where, yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about the behind the scenes stuff. You're we trying to avoid it, but it's out there. People are aware of it. And I think there is a curiosity factor in the opening weekend. I don't yeah. know how much staying power that has afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I will say that, you know, as somebody who goes to the movie theater every single week, multiple times a week, it was really nice to see, like, honestly, like a full packed house at the movie theater last night. And I can't Especially remember. for this kind of a movie. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the last time I saw that was Top Gun Maverick. But obviously that was like a sequel. Um, this is like a brand new original film. So, I mean, it warms my heart when I see moments like that. So that yeah. is one positive thing. People are going to the theater to see this. Oh, yeah. I, I would definitely say that even though I'm not a big fan of the movie, the fact that a film that is completely original, not based on any other material, not even like a biopic is mm -hmm. com like a completely original movie is doing well at the box office. Like regardless of the quality of the film, I want to see more of that. Yeah. And also, too, coming off the heels of last week with The Woman King as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely a very exciting time at the box office. Indeed, let's. Let's, you know, have our fingers crossed and hope that bros can continue to streak next weekend. I hope, I hope so. so yeah. All right. Well, with that said, Emma, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me in the town of Victory. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek and on Letterboxd at Emma Sasek. Now, it would be really crazy, Emma, if we had like our own like offshoot podcast called The Victory Project. And oh, God, organized <laughs> chaos at the <laughs> lead photo. Danilo Castro, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. Evo Day? You can find me on Twitter at Eve on Film. And Josh Parham, I have a question for you. Don't you want to be perfect with me? <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Uh, if I can do 23 out of 23 with my Oscar predictions, then sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hey there. hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.